0: You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Okay, everybody. I'm going to do my best in the next... 30 minutes to kind of replicate um, my sermon from Sunday uh, we had uh, an audio issue which we have already determined what it was and it, Lord willing it shouldn't happen again and uh, but I have had several people come and ask me about... Um, you know, trying to restore the audio or getting the notes out. And uh, my wife, who is often much wiser than I am, <clears throat> pretty much said, like, uh, it, it would be more expedient and efficient if I just talked through uh, the sermon from Sunday. And so uh, that's what I want to do, okay? Okay. Um, so if you weren't able, to, I'm not going to be able to like replicate um, that event, uh, but I want to at least get uh, the content to you uh, so that you can um, you can be on pace with the church and then also understand, I think it's important uh, as the pastor of Mount Carmel Baptist Church that you understand where I am um, on the issue, uh, just so that you know, um, for good or bad, okay? Um, but we're, as a church, if, if for those who are like listening in, as a church, we're going through the book of Acts, and um, this is technically part seven of our series through the book of Acts, and we're in chapter two, verses Five, the actual units 5 through 13, but I stopped a little short in verse 11 because I realized it was going to take an enormous amount of time to cover everything that's in this text, and you can't squeeze it dry. Um, so I, I basically am breaking this unit up into two uh, sermons that I'll do over the next three weeks because we have Father's Day in between it. But it's Acts chapter 2. Uh, verses 5 through 11. And tongues and George Floyd, um, what do they have to do with one another? Um, racism is an incredibly sensitive issue um, in our country, um, in our communities, and in our churches. Um, it incites emotion both ways, like in the extremes, I feel like. Um, and I understand that some individuals, and I, I don't believe it as much as I, I do now, having received feedback from my church, um, but I do think some people will resist. Um, and if you see me looking down, I'm, I'm looking at my notes, by the way, um, leave or never return uh, to my church possibly because of this sermon Uh, and I'm not saying woe is me I just understand that some Christians may not share uh, my biblical understanding of this issue Um, but I do trust you to know my purpose Uh, this is what Paul said, "I trust that you know my purpose, my conduct, uh, and my teaching uh, of my intent behind this, and um, and that I that I sincerely love you and want to tell God's honest truth about this issue. A couple of weeks ago, in fact, I had um, there was a, a lady that's been watching the live stream, and she messaged me." and asked, do I preach politics? I thought that was a fair question. And um, I quoted this verbatim back to the congregation and I'll share it with you because I wanted you to hear my response to her. Uh, my prayer and purpose are to preach Christ crucified for sins and raised from the dead for our forgiveness uh, through repentance and faith in Jesus' name. Does the law of Christ intersect political issues? Yes. Civil obedience, abortion, homosexuality. So I will address them uh, when the scripture addresses them. I try to preach expositionally, verse by verse. I personally cannot endure political rantings from the pulpit. The pulpit is to make much of Jesus. Having said that, a part of that is... Uh, Coming to this passage in Acts chapter 2, the cultural climate, the issues that are going on, it's just impossible, in my opinion, to not bring the truth of God's Word to bear on what's happening um, socially, politically, uh, in our country and communities. So, that's why I'm, I'm not trying to pigeonhole the text. I just see it in the text, uh, today's text. So the early church, um, it, as recorded in the book of Acts, was extraordinarily diverse. I mean, you got to think about this. The apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, he, he's talking about the church, and he says, There is no Jew or Greek. Slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's an extraordinary statement. And the part that I want to emphasize to you is not that God is colorblind or he doesn't see distinctions any longer between genders. He created the sexes. Um, but the point is this, is what Paul is emphasizing is race race, and gender have no advantage or disadvantage when it comes to accessibility to God through Jesus Christ uh, as one preacher put it uh, the the I want to make sure I say it right um, the ground is level at the foot of the cross and and that's Jesus' shed blood for your sins, his uh, sacrificial death on the cross, and his resurrection for your forgiveness, s- transformation, and eternal life. That in love, he has done this for the world. Um, and the writer of the book of Acts, Luke, Luke is trying, and if you think about this, because we, we kind of see uh, the text from a privileged place of history, that Luke, in the book of Acts, is trying to explain to his readers how is it that you get this incredibly diverse institution the church you know no Jew no Greek uh, slave or free these are not male or female there's not uh, points of accessibility um, the church is open to everyone how, how does this begin and so part of Luke's uh, Mission in telling this story to Theophilus as it says in Acts chapter 1 is a part of explaining what the church is and what it's doing. Um, And if I had to put and this is what's amazing if you had to put where does the diversity in the church come from in a single word it's tongues. Tongues. Uh, A gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll discuss the matter of tongues, like the actual uh, gift of speaking in tongues, in more detail in two weeks. Um, But tongues teaches us a lot about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, church, and diversity. Um, And so, uh, I hope to accomplish that in this short time that we're together. To give you some context before we dive into chapter 2, verses 5-11, through In chapter 1, the resurrected Jesus, the risen Jesus, has appeared to his disciples and has spoken about himself and the kingdom of God and the promise of the Holy Spirit who would come and empower them, clothe them with power to be his witnesses around the world. It's important that you note that. The Holy Spirit will come and empower you to witness about the work of Jesus, the person and work of Jesus, to the whole world. Now, they probably had no idea what that entailed, like the specifics of what we'll see in Acts chapter 2. But but Jesus then implores them before he ascends, go back into Jerusalem, don't begin this mission, without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So wait. And so they, they go back, they're in a room, Uh, there's approximately 120 people that ultimately gather with them uh, disciples who they they are praying waiting on the Lord Uh, they also replace uh, Judas Iscariot the betrayer who's committed suicide uh, with Matthias um, which is an awesome story in itself and they're they're simply waiting and the day of Pentecost arrives And to put this in perspective, just to let you know, uh, and I talk about what is Pentecost in a previous sermon, um, but just for for your mind to appreciate what's happening in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost is a a highly attended Jewish festival. And so Jews from around the world would gather uh, in Jerusalem uh, to bring... Uh, an offering to the temple at Pentecost. Just that's what you what you've got to know to make sense of this text. So think of it like you know how as Americans we tend to flood the streets on the Fourth of July, all right, uh, to celebrate Independence Day. Uh, think of it like that. There, there's going to be Jews from everywhere in the streets in Jerusalem heading to the temple to. Um, to make this sacrifice at Pentecost. It's a, it's a, it's a harvest uh, celebration. It's, it's thanking God for his gracious provision and in faith trusting that he'll provide for the rest of the season. And so Jews from everywhere have gathered around from the world to go and, and, and honor and worship the Lord in this way. And so that's when Pentecost, as we know it from the Christian calendar, happen. So I'm going to read the text to you and I'm going to do my best to make sure these things appear on the screen uh, like they did on Sunday. So Acts chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 says, Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. And under heaven here uh, is an idiom for these are God's children from all over the world. Think of it like that. Um, and then verse uh, 6, he says, uh, When this sound occurred, And I believe this there, the antecedent, is um, the sound of... There was a rushing, a violent rushing wind, sound like wind, not wind itself, but a sound like wind that filled the room where the disciples were. And the Holy Spirit, like flickering flames, rested on one individual and then that power his power separated and rested on another and separated and rested on another but then they began to speak in tongues and i'll define that more in a minute but i don't think it's necessarily the sound but they they heard all these people speaking in these languages so when this sound occurred a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language now they're going to explain the confusion Here in the next verse, like, why are they confused? They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, in in the way that you need to think about Galileans is like, these are the dropouts, the losers, the sinners, the failures, the fools. Galileans didn't have this reputation of being highly intellectual people or religious scholars from Jerusalem. These are like the backwoods folks. And these are the disciples of Jesus, right? Right. And so they're saying, how is it that these, these people, these Galileans, are speaking our language fluently? All these different uh, languages that are represented from the world, and we hear them fluently. They're just amazed. They can't put two and two together. Look we'll at to the next verse. Uh, how is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Did I skip one? I want to make sure. Nope, I got it right. Okay. Um, and then verse 9. And then here, uh, Paul lists the 15 pla- uh, Excuse me, Luke lists the 15 places where they're from: Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, uh, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygeria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts. Now, remember the gospel going to the ends of the world. Uh, I mentioned this in a sermon. How does the gospel get from? jerusalem at the end of john the book of john and then like looking at your bible you have the book of acts and then romans the epicenter of the roman empire how does it get there through acts okay of the holy spirit and the apostles so let me keep moving um Cretans and arabs we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of god in our own tongues now so far the word for languages And tongues the the CSB doesn't translate it um, consistent is and I'll show this the first two instances where you see languages is dialectos in the Greek Um, and then the last instance here is actually the word glacia or glacia Uh, so which is the gift of speaking in tongues Um, but it should it should tell you something about the nature of tongues when The word dialectos, where we get our word for dialect, is used uh, in reference to the gift of tongues. So, tongues, right? What does this have to do uh, with George Floyd? A couple of things. Number one, and you can write this down. Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, creates a diverse church. Let this this sink in for just a second. This should not amaze everybody. That the first act in the book of Acts by the Holy Spirit through the apostles is he sends them out, right, their own mission to witness about Jesus, the magnificent acts of God, his saving acts through his son, his death, burial, and resurrection. It's clear because later you'll see the sermon from Peter. It makes much of Jesus. They go out and witness about Jesus, But how do they do it? I mean, the very first witness in the Holy Spirit-empowered apostolic era, the early church, is in a diverse way from the get-go. That should tell you something about the nature of the church. um, That God, the Father, in His Son, by the Holy Spirit, desires a diverse church. He wants every nation, tribe, and tongue uh, to be a part of his called-out community. So that's something that's significant. Um, And what's so amazing is how specific he wants people from every nation, tribe tribe, and tongue to come to him. So the word dialectos, the language, it is not just in reference to... Um, just the languages represented. For instance, let me give you an example. Some of those present in those 15 places, they didn't just speak different languages, but different dialects of the same language. There wasn't 15 different languages represented. This is important. The Phagirians and the Pamphylians both spoke Greek, but had different idioms. The Parthians, Medes, and Elamites all spoke Persian, but in various forms. And when we talk about dialect, we as southerners uh, should appreciate this. We know there's a difference between uh, southern English and northern English, right? We do y'all and they say you guys, right? And let's not talk about like British English. So even though we all speak English, we, we have different dialects idioms and phrases and forms that we use. And so the word here is not just that they're speaking like a generic Greek, a generic Persian. They're speaking the magnificent acts of God's saving work in Christ. In each uh, represented place's own language, in their own words. They're using the idioms and phrases. I mean, this is unbelievable contextualization of the gospel. From the get-go, uh, that if, and the way I, I said it Sunday is, if Pentecost happened in Denverish, Georgia, um, they would have spoke Southern English. They would have said y'all. Um, so that tells you how, the. I think that uh, betrays the heartbeat of God when it comes to diversity in the church. So he wants a diverse church. Now, what does that, what is that concept that, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, creates a diverse church from the very beginning. What does that have to do with tongues, the church, the Spirit, Christ, and this matter that's before us in our country? A couple of things. So the church, it's important first as Christians that we have a a sound, healthy biblical theology of the church. The church is a tapestry of multi-ethnic believers who come from many different cultures. Um, there, there isn't, I know we, we say this culturally, like there's the white church and the black church. Biblically, there is no such thing, okay? When we talk about the church universal, it includes all of us, okay? Uh, Jesus died for and calls for uh, unity, among believers, regardless of race or ethnicity. So uh, and, I, and I appreciate the cultural differences in the church. That's, I mean and, and God loves that. but at the same time, I do want us to, for a moment to look at the church as a complete whole organism and not just the local body. I'm talking about the church with the capital C. Now, one of the many works of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, is to God, the church, those who were repented of their sins and have trusted Christ as their Savior and they're following Him as their Lord and God. The Holy Spirit empowers those people to cross cultural barriers. Uh, In fact, and and this is completely out of their comfort zones, and I mentioned this on Sunday, there were times where God and His sovereign providence permitted persecution to drive the church into areas... Uh, that, quite frankly, seemed uncomfortable for them to go, uh, but became a little more comfortable knowing that persecution was driving them out. And so the gospel spread even on the backs of persecution. Um, so putting that all together, this is how I, I see um, the matter at hand. Okay? George Floyd was murdered um in front of our very eyes, by uniformed policemen while three other policemen present failed to intervene and i said sunday and i'll say it again the whole scene was barbaric um i i didn't say this i personally couldn't watch through the whole video um and some of that for those who know me I, i can't do stuff like that um but but it was barbaric. And any, and I, I submit this to you with generous respect. If you don't see that as murder, uh, we're going like you can go ahead and stop watching, uh, because we're going to be on two different playing fields. That's murder. Now, um, I'm aware that some of us, and and now I'm speaking more about Mount Carmel when I say us. Uh, wish that this would all just go away without our involvement. And what I mean, not the 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 issue of, of George Floyd's murder. I mean th- everything that comes along with it in the sense of like, can this be healed, addressed and healed without me having to do anything? I mean, some of us just sincerely wish that. Like, can we just close our eyes and wish that it would just pass over? And I'm I'm empathetic. I know what you mean by that. Uh it's not laziness, it's going like, this is really messy. Um and then I'm also aware of others within let me phrase this. I would believe there's others within our church and among especially white evangelicals, um that have been so discipled by twenty-four hour news media, left and right, okay? That somehow they believe to stand in solidarity with protesters is lawless compromise. And I think you need to be a little more discerning than that. Um, I am a white evangelical. I am. Okay. I'm one of that group. Um, And I laid the cards out on Sunday and I'm going to lay it out here. This is like one of those sermons, in my opinion, like I wish I only had to even say it one time. But my conscience, Josh Taylor's conscience, will never allow him to vote for a pro choice candidate. Um, my conscience is captive uh, to the Bible. Now, I know when you say that, everybody's like, well, how do you interpret the Bible? I get that. Um, but th- that is one of m- a biblical value for me that r- reigns supreme on a lot of levels for me. Uh, But it's that very same value that causes me to see George Floyd's life as precious. Absolutely, utterly precious. So these are not uh, antithetical matters. They're one and the same. Um, Biblically, it is disgraceful that the church laments and has righteous anger over those who exploit protest as opportunities to loot than having a tear well up over a murder. Um, that's the part that's probably one of the most disheartening things for me is to see the church. I don't mean Mount Mount Carmel. I'm, I'm, this is the one time I mean the church in general. Members of the church who decry the looting and haven't even given a single ounce of remorse for George Floyd. Um, The former, the looting, is chiefly about property. Uh, The latter is about a person who bears the image of God. Persons matter more than things. Life and property can never be measured against one another. Uh, In fact, and I share this, in the law of Moses, no offense involving property carried a death penalty. No offense did. And the closest, like crime, like kidnapping, which is, I'm saying this, you can steal property. What does it mean when you steal, you kidnap another person, which in that time generally meant that you ended up selling them into slavery? It's interesting that kidnapping did carry a capital offense in mosaic law why because a person is not property all right they bear the image of God and so it's essentially like taking a life so no matter what the media says you and I uh, cannot afford to remain silent and I'm going to give you two chief reasons we can't just wish that it would go away um, and we can't just focus our attention on secondary issues, we have to look and address the primary issue first. And this is the first reason uh, God judged His old covenant people, Israel, uh, for these sins. For these sins, listen to Deuteronomy 24:17. This is like the Minority Protections Act of the Mosaic Law, uh, and so they would have understood this completely that these are the minority groups within Israel. Deuteronomy 24, 17, do not deny justice to a resident alien, that's an immigrant, or a fatherless child, an orphan. And do not take a widow's garment as security. So if a widow needs something, and the last, like the only thing she has is her cloak, okay, you cannot take her cloak from her. That's her, her warmth and her bed, okay, you could not take that as a down payment or some sense of a, of assurance. That was like her last right. And and there was some basic fundamental rights that you can never deprive them from. Okay? And so that clause is in there. You've got to be just to even those who were on the outside, the marginalized. Um, this is a part of the Mosaic Law. And there are certain basic fundamental rights that no matter what happens, like needs and there are certain instances where needs matter more than rights and you can't take that widow's cloak um, you have to just simply take her word for it um, and then let me get to more specific things when it comes to the issue of murder Deuteronomy 19 11 through 13 it says but if someone hates his neighbor uh, oh, I forgot. I need to kind of uh, go ahead and, so you can see these. <laughs> I don't want to, I'm not making these verses up. Deuteronomy 24, 17 is the one I just read to you. And then let me give you this one Deuteronomy 19, 11 through 13. But if someone hates his neighbor, lies in ambush for him, attacks him, and strikes him fatally, and flees to one of these cities. Now, just a little bit of context this is someone who's committing first degree murder and then runs to a city of refuge. And that's a whole another concept that I don't have time to talk about today. But I just want you to say, he's fleeing. That's the biggest thing you need to know. A first degree murder and fleeing. The elders of his city, where he's from, are to send for him, take him from there, and hand him over to the avenger of blood, and he will die. Uh, this is a part of doing justice, that the leaders of that city are to get him, right and he has to pay the price and notice what else notice what else so it says do not look on him with pity but purge from israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood and you will prosper um do i have another verse now i want to stay right there um the part that i wanted you to notice is you're going to see g uh, uh, jesus who i do believe is the god of israel but Yahweh will say it that way. and I don't mean that in a, in a reckless way. The shedding of innocent blood, murder, uh, sacrificing children to false idols. The, the shedding of innocent blood cap, uh, um, encapsulates many crimes like murder. But it's not just murder. Anytime life is taken and it's innocent life. This is not any type of justifiable killing in self-defense innocent shedding of blood, it has this almost this concept that it contaminates the land and the people to a point where if it's not dealt with justly, God judges his people. In fact, and it goes beyond just the people of Israel. If you go and read the book of Jonah, Jonah who is not a covenant people, right? This, these are people outside the covenant. Uh, I mean, Nineveh, that Jonah goes to preach to. He tells them, you have to repent or be overthrown. And the the whole issue is what? They shed blood. It's like it reaches, it's a stench that reaches so high up into the heavens that God eventually goes, there is so much shedding of blood that if you don't show remorse, repentance, and do justice, I will annihilate you. All right? Um, This is a, God puts a premium on people who are who are in his image. So um, now the question, I want you, so I want you to see this. In, in fact, I didn't get to mention this, and I talked about this with some of the other ones uh, who stuck around to speak. In Deuteronomy 21, uh, you'll find an instance where what happens when Israel has, clearly there's been a murder that's taken place, but they don't know who the perpetrator is. It's interesting that they still have to go out there and sacrifice a cow. All right, this is this isn't cheap. Sacrifice a cow, and ask God to not hold the innocent blood that was shed against them. That they basically were saying, God, we've done everything that we can do to find who the perpetrator was, perpetrator was, but we we don't know. Don't hold the shedding of innocent blood against us. So very interesting. Deuteronomy twenty one. Just go read it. Now, what happens about protest? I think there's a lot. That's one of the biggest things is, like, can the church protest? And I think the the one that just comes out to me in uh, the Scriptures are the prophets. The the Old Testament prophets protested almost around the clock. And it's not that they enjoyed it. In fact, like, I'm going to show you an example of Jeremiah. Jeremiah essentially begs god like please don't send me out there like i am tired of preaching the word i'm tired of telling people what it is that you want and he says remember this is the text he's like but it's a fire shut up in my bones i gotta go say something and um, one of these instances he's going to essentially march in kick down the doors of the palace in jerusalem and go speak to the king of judah uh, and tell him what the word of the lord is Uh, This is prophetic protest at its best. And I think if the church wants to continue to have that prophetic voice, we do have to speak the truth, God's honest truth, to power. Uh, And so this would be the equivalent of like kicking in the doors of the White House uh, and telling the whole administration this is God's word. Uh, So listen to what it says in Jeremiah 22, 1 through 5. This is what the Lord, this Yahweh, says. Go down to the palace of the king of Judah. And announce this word there. Um, so this isn't confined to some synagogue. You know, he's going right into the political arena. He says, you're to say, hear the word of the Lord, king of Judah, and you who sit on the throne of David, you your officers and your people who enter these gates. This is the whole administration. He says, this is what the Lord says, administer justice and righteousness. Rescue the victim of robbery from his oppressor. Don't exploit or brutalize the resident alien, that's the immigrant, the fatherless, the, the orphans, or the widow. These are the marginalized, the minorities. Don't shed innocent blood in this place. That involves murder and the sacrifice of children to false idols. Okay? Um, and he says, For if you conscientiously carry out this word, then kings sitting on David's throne will enter through the gates of this palace riding on chariots and horses, they, their officers, and their people. So if he says, If you're intentional about doing this, um, God will take care of you, right? And then, but notice the, the reverse of it. But if you do not obey these words, I swear by myself. So this is God saying, there's no higher thing that God can swear to. He says, I'm giving you my word. This is the Lord's declaration that this house will become a ruin. And so I, I said it this way, and I'll say it again. If you want to make America great, you adopt a Jeremiah 22, 1 through 5 platform, period. Um, because it doesn't matter how much there is a resurgence of the economy, whatever. Uh, Jesus is still Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And however nations treat the marginalized and the innocent, right? Uh, he's watching. He's watching. And that's not just for the people of Israel. Like I said, we already saw Jonah and Nineveh who were outside the covenant, and God still said, go and tell them to repent or I'll destroy them. Um, So this has to be a part of the platform. It does. Um, And in fact, if you go, well, is it really our responsibility uh, to seek justice? Is that a part? Because, again, I, I do believe our primary, as the church, the one thing that we must do, right, is to make much of Jesus, proclaim the gospel. I delivered unto you what was of most importance, first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day in accordance with the scriptures. However, the next part, okay, like in our discipleship, our walk with the Lord, we're to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. That's Leviticus 19. It's interesting to me that a part of neighborly love is acting justly. Listen to what it says in Micah 6 8. Mankind. So this is not just like the people of Israel. This is God addressing, hey, everybody. Right? This uh, he has told each of you what is good and what is what does the Lord require? What does he want? Because this is on the back in Micah six, he's like, should should we just basically give uh all these sacrifices? In fact in Micah six seven he even says this, I didn't share this on Sunday. Should we sacrifice our own children for God? Right? Like, that's like the ultimate payment you can make. (laughs) And God goes, no. Right? I'll tell you what I want. To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what I want. I want your obedience. Um, So, it's very interesting that you see that. Now, uh, the next thing. I want to say this. I know I have in my own family and congregation, morally upstanding, excellent uh, police officers and military personnel. And I don't say that uh, just for rhetoric, I know that, I believe that. Um, I've got two brother-in-laws, two brother-in-laws in in law enforcement. Um, I've got another brother-in-law who is a part of the military. And I believe they're amazing officers. Um, So I do, and then I've got one or two officers in my own congregation. And then I know there were several other officers in previous congregations. So I understand, like I'm sympathetic, like think of it this way. Like pastors, um, pastors just within the past year, uh have brought disgrace upon the church by many who have committed sexual abuse or child molestation as a minister and so i get not not the having the suspicion put on you going here i am you know carrying the badge and i don't affirm what happens um but you're treated as part of the whole and And I would just say, like that's uh, with gentleness and respect, that's part of it. And so I think it's important that um you speak up, believe it or not, especially uh, I think this is times where I understand standing in solidarity, um, but there's time like especially with George Floyd, I think it is clear a clear issue, clear uh that that george was murdered and i be, i believe it's and i and i think and i know the ones that are in my own life they see that yeah, he was murdered um and so it's important to be able to say it and distinguish it um what is the purpose of law enforcement and government that's another biblical issue uh paul gives us the most succinct statement i my... well besides maybe peter but paul gives us a good understanding of it in Romans 13 uh, 1 through 7 I'm just going to, to, to give you verse 4 for sake of time but this is this is how why, how and why God has ordained the government and law enforcement so it says this in Romans 13 four, for it is God's servant for your good they represent God but if you do wrong be afraid because it does not carry the sword for no reason so they can use force for it is God's servant, an avenger, that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Now here is where we have uh, controversy. What happens when law enforcement is the one who has done evil? Right. So law enforcement is responsible to bring force to punish evildoers. What happens when they're the one doing evil? And I hate, I don't even use to say they, but you get the point. They're a part of the problem. Um, and this is where I think we do have to speak up. So, what needs to happen, right? Um, a couple of things. When a, when a police officer is responsible for an unjustifiable killing of an innocent person, I'm not talking about self defense. Um, unjustifiable killing, the shedding of innocent blood, they become an evildoer that the rest of law enforcement has to stop. Um, That's the very purpose in which they exist. If they don't, they become a disgrace upon God and government. Okay, So it cannot continue. I know last week uh, the president met with, several black leaders on wednesday and then some on thursday about reform and uh, that that is a good thing that's if if you are a supporter of the president you need to call for and support those actions now I, you know i hear uh, you know rumors and things of people talking about disbanding the police that that's impossible. I think practically, and from Romans thirteen, they, the the law enforcement and government is a God ordained institution. No anarchy. That's God does want order. Um, but I would say it this way: like for instance, love and justice matter more than law and order. But that's not to pit them one a pit them against one another. They should work in tandem. So. I do think there needs to be reforms. Now, I'm not, I have, this is where I bow out of the conversation. Um, and what I mean is, what kind of reforms need to be put in place? That's why those individuals are elected officials and the administration needs to continue to talk to members of the African-American community to, to, to discover what those reforms are. Um, I do. I would speak. I would be speaking ignorantly um, to suggest things. And I mean, my my own family or, or congregation, those who are involved in law enforcement, would have much better ideas uh, than I would have. But I would say is this: we would say, we can say as a church, there needs to be reform to make sure this doesn't happen ever again. Um, now, the second thing. So we we you can say that. I think I think, and I'm just going to say this: white evangelicals are so afraid. Like we are, we give the police the benefit of the doubt. That's what happens, um, and I and I understand that. But I'm saying is, it is not you're not being a lawless compromiser when you say this shouldn't happen again. Figure it out, okay? Don't let it happen again, um, because. We have got to put our citizenship in heaven, uh, our brothers and sisters in in Christ in the church, above and beyond political and cultural issues. It's that important. Because, like I said, God judges and disciplines His covenant people uh, by how they deal with these issues. The second thing is this, is that as Christians first and Americans first, Second, and I, I have no problem. My allegiance, first and foremost, is to my Lord who died for me. Uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, this sounds cliche. I'm proud to be an American. Uh, I consider it a privilege to to be a citizen and to pastor in America. Um, but nations come and go, leaders come and go. Um, the Word of God and His kingdom. Are without end. So our primary allegiance, primary, is to Jesus, His Word, and His Church. I have no, and if we, and if you can't say that, you, there are much more significant spiritual issues going on in your life than, than what you think. Right? Uh, he has our first allegiance. So, and that's why we can speak truth to power because we're not wedded to it. We're wedded to Christ. We're we're His bride. Now, what I do want to let you know is that um, I do believe this. I think America benefits from good citizens of the heavenly kingdom. I said that before, that uh, the best thing that can happen for America is that people, that the church, act out their heavenly citizenship. That's a good thing, okay? Uh, Now... Let's be honest. I want to talk about our African-American black brothers and sisters who are members of the body of Christ. They're members, equally members like we are, going back to the diversity of the church. As white evangelicals, let's just be honest. We don't consider others' experiences frequently, okay? Um and that's probably one of the the biggest things that i've gotten feedback from from my own church is just the the confession of like yeah i just it's just it, it doesn't dawn it doesn't occur the empathy it's not like it's got to be much more intentional and disciplined um it is a i believe i truly believe this type of love empathy and sympathy is a fruit of the spirit that we need to foster so um and cultivate, like, like be influenced and follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit when He tugs to empathize, empathize, like put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Because I think the natural man, sinful nature, doesn't do that. So that's one part. But here's what I see and hear from. African-American brothers and sisters in Christ who I trust and love, um, they are lamenting and have righteous anger over the murder of George Floyd. And we should, we should stand in solidarity with them. Um, to put it into perspective, and this is why I think it's important to help you empathize, is that you listen to our other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. One of my favorite uh, senators when I lived in South Carolina is Tim Scott. And Tim Scott said this. He said, uh, having the chance to talk with so many folks and having lived through seven stops as an African-American driving a car uh, by law enforcement officers, as an elected official being stopped by law enforcement officers, as a United States senator trying to enter into the Senate buildings, wearing my Senate pen, they just don't believe me. So you have Tim Scott, who is a United States senator, driving into the Senate, you know, to the Senate building and is being stopped by officers uh, on occasion uh, and essentially saying, I, I belong here. And they're just absolutely skeptical. Um, you know, that is that's shocking to me. Um, but he's saying that is a part of his experience and we should believe him. Um, Esau McCauley, an assistant professor of New Testament at Wheaton, he says, "Some will assume that I'm bringing politics into the church. They'll wonder why I'm not upset about black-on-black crime, or the breakdown of the black family, or abortion, or looting, or whatever is the topic that helps us avoid looking at the thing itself. That thing is the 400-year-old history of racial trauma and oppression still plag- plaguing blacks in the in the country, and that's the part where we have to take serious." um, we, I think, we, we don't want to look the issue head on. Um, and my whole point is this. I sincerely trust when my brothers and sisters in Christ, when they say this is an issue, this is an issue, it needs to be addressed, we have to listen. Um, I mean, and the analogy I gave Sunday is, imagine, you know, you, you've damaged your finger right you're not going to carry on your day and not address it in some way clean it up put a band-aid on it something you're going to pay some special attention to that finger before you keep moving on right and all i'm saying is as members of the body of christ we have african-american brothers and sisters in christ who are hurting hurting and to keep continuing on, right, just to keep moving on without addressing it, without paying it any special attention is just obscene. It's just, I mean, we wouldn't do that um, to ourselves or our own churches. And so we do, we do need to pay some special attention, right, and address. Let me give you a couple other things that's interesting in Scripture. This is a Psalm of David. He says, malicious witnesses come forward. They question me about things I do not know. And then look at this. He says, they repay me evil for good, making me desolate. Now catch this. this, He's talking about his enemies. And then look what he says. Yet when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting and my prayer was genuine. So David says, when my enemies did this, when I found out that they were sick, I still prayed for their healing. Now our African American brothers and sisters are not our enemies. They're not. But I'm trying to argue greater to lesser. If 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 David prayed for his enemies who were hurting, uh, how much more should we who are our brothers and sisters? Um, it says in uh, Romans twelve fifteen: Rejoice with those who rejoice; weep with those who weep. Um. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. Our African-American brothers and sisters are not our enemies, but even if they were, we cannot avoid these biblical examples and commands. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King said, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And that does disturb me the most. Uh, I have good, close uh, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ who are different than me, and I don't want them to say, Pastor or Josh, uh, where were you in this when we were hurting? Uh, and I think many, I'm telling you now, especially from the response from my own church, Sunday is they feel the same way. We, we, there, I think there are people who are cautious who. Don't know what to do. They really don't. They're, I'm telling this to my African-American brothers and sisters. They go, well, what are y'all doing? They, sometimes we, we don't. It's like perilous, uh, paralysis. But we, we can at least weep more, lament, uh, and call for protest reform. Um, so I'll give you a couple of things. These are This is a statement from the Southern Baptist Convention that I wholeheartedly agree with. He says, we also lament. Uh, When some law enforcement officers misuse their authority and bring unnecessary harm to the people, they are called to protect. We further grieve with our minority brothers and sisters in the wake of George Floyd's death, pray for his family and friends, and greatly desire to see the misuse of force and any inequitable distributions of justice to come to an end. And every person should be able to say amen. Uh, The statement concludes, Therefore, as a matter of Christian obedience and devotion, Followers of Jesus Christ cannot remain silent when our brothers and sisters, friends, and/or people we seek to win for Christ, are mistreated, abused, or killed unnecessarily. And that's the truth. We have to stand in solidarity. Um, So the last thing, and I'll be finished. I think one of the other things that the the media has done has where they've pitted us against one another for their own gain and um revenue is to uh, consolidate things so that if you're a part of a piece of this you endorse the whole and if you're a part of a piece of this you endorse the whole that people are not able to say well this is the truth and while i uh, discern this is error this is true and one of the things that has that both sides have done great jobs of making sure of consolidating people into just one of two groups uh, comes to the issue of Black Lives Matter. I understand that Black Lives Matter is also a global network. You can actually go to blacklivesmatter.com. They have like a statement of faith. You can go read what they stand for. Uh, one of the issues that, and I've shared this before, and I say it with gentleness and respect, I've, I've preached on two political issues uh, in the month of January. Uh, abortion, I think I, it was called, um, the sermon if you want to look it up, is uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And then uh, on the issue of homosexuality, I think People to be Loved. It was after a book. So you can see where I stand. I, I don't hate any. I just I still believe biblically both are sins, and need repentant, saving faith in Christ. Uh, so what I why I say all that to say this is the Black Lives Matter network. If you go read their statement of faith or their their creed, whatever it is, at the bottom, near the bottom is they are a queer affirming network. That's their words. With, with gentleness and respect, I, will, I can never adopt that, okay? Um, but, again, I don't want to do this. To say, okay, I can't adopt that, do I have to just say all of this is bad, all of it's bad? <laughs> In the same way, our African-American brothers and sisters completely distinguish between protest and violent protest. They denounce it. They, they, they said that's not the way that we should be doing this. Many African-American brothers and sisters in Christ also acknowledge uh, that, for instance, the biblical stance that we have, they're not queer-affirming either, all right? So don't play into that game. Don't play into that game. What I want us to ask is this. When our African-American brothers and sisters ask us, do black lives matter, they're not asking us to join some global network. That's not what they're asking. The vast majority of them are not. They're, they're just asking a simple question, like, do I matter? Do I matter? This comes back to me, it's the, it's a, what's analogous is it's the, the damaged member of the body, right? Will you address it? Will you, spe- will you pay any special attention or are you just gonna keep moving on? And so what I want to say to my fellow brothers and sisters who are part of Mount Carmel, hopefully maybe some other white evangelicals, is that when someone asks you the question, do black lives matter, can white evangelicals say black lives matter without ambiguity? Black lives matter. You can say it. Say it. We can rise above all of that other stuff. They matter. And you're not, uh, you're not shedding your allegiance to anything else. You're being faithful uh, to your Lord and the body of Christ. Black lives matter. Um, so a couple of things. Um, do you want justice? I would implore you to come to Jesus. One, well, I don't have the time to talk about. I, I believe the only philosophical foundations for justice, objective justice, where it's not just people oppressing uh, other people, is, here's what I'll I'll put it this way, where it's not people just oppressing other people, is you only are going to get that with biblical justice. Um, I Like what Charlie Dates said when we were with him, he says only uh, the people of Israel, God's people could come out of Egypt and not become oppressors of Egypt, uh, which is really interesting to think about it. So only a, a gospel people, uh, I think, ultimately can do justice. But the other part is this. Justice will elude you. Um, elude you. Life is not fair. Um, everybody knows this. But the the amazing thing about a Christian and biblical worldview is that christ is returning he's coming back to judge the living and the dead he calls everybody up out of the grave and even if justice eludes you in this life it won't forever and so i would implore you to know the lord jesus repent of your sins and trust him as your savior the second thing is this do you want unity um People say this, racism is taught. No, it's not. It's not taught. Uh, it may be peddled, but racism is a part of our sinful nature. And the only one who can uh, transform our sinful natures is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit enters our lives when we repent of our sins and we trust Jesus as our Savior. Uh, so if we want to see unity, of course, it should start in the body of Christ, but even um, on a global scale. The only way to see unity is when people repent of sin and and ask the Holy Spirit uh, to change their hearts. And the third thing is do you need forgiveness? Um, What I love about Christ is that His blood is so powerful that He can cleanse our conscience of all sin, um, which is an amazing freedom uh, from the burden of sin, the guilt and shame. And so if you have something in your past or even present that you go, um, how can God forgive me? And, and my, my response to that is because He bore our sins uh, in Christ to reconcile us. And so we can be forgiven. And so if you've never repented of your sins, realized that you're a sinner, and trust that Jesus is Savior in God, that I implore you to do that today. And then I would tell every believer um, that I would pray for two things, and then if you can't pray for two things, I have a third thing. Number one, pray that the perpetrators of George Floyd's death and murder uh, would be brought to justice, that they would be punished to the fullest extent of the law. That's not to say that we don't pray for their salvation. I'm saying is that's, it's both and. The second thing is we should pray for our president and administration and pray that they will continue to listen and make reform. And I think every believer uh, should do that. Uh, you can read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. We pray for uh, our leaders so that we can go about proclaiming the gospel peacefully and quietly. And then if you can't pray those things, I would pray that you would repent and ask the Holy Spirit to change your nature. Um, and I'm sympathetic. I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm saying is, I think in uh, we all have it in us because we're all sinners. Uh, we don't have to be taught that. So that is the gist of my sermon. I probably, you probably could have got it faster in, uh, on a Sunday morning. <laughs> but I wanted to do it live uh, I wanted to do it live and do it over for two reasons. One, I think anybody who was present and heard the sermon could pretty much say, "Yep, that's what he said." And then number two, I did it live for two reasons. One, it's so much easier to do things live than to record them, produce them, uh, encode them, and upload them. Um, so I just did it live. And two, I think that kind of it keeps me f- fair, like I'm in some way speaking to a live audience i don't want to i don't want to be able to polish up and edit um what i you know what i'm what i believe the bible says about it so anyways i hope this has been i I don't i don't like saying i hope i've planned that this would be useful for you and uh uh, you feel free i'm not i'm not going to spend a ton of times interacting in the comment section mainly because and i and i'm not saying that i won't look at it at all but mainly because this is like the second time I've preached this thing. And i got to get a sermon ready for Sunday. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, but I do love you. And uh, this isn't like a it's not a some kind of reprimand. It's just a part of, I believe, biblical discipleship. And uh, I appreciate uh, the members of Mount Carmel who have uh, sincerely said, you know, hey, I, you, you got to tell us. You know, you've got to just say something. And uh, and so that's the spirit of why I share it again. Uh, and two, I got a ton of people asking for like copies, and I ain't going to be able to restore the audio in that other one. <laughs> I tried all day yesterday. So let me pray, and after I pray, it's not like you're dismissed. I don't know what you're doing, um, but whenever you watch it, I love you and hope to see you soon. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege um, to have the tech, to go back over a sermon and I just pray that you will use this for your glory, to make much of Jesus, uh, that people would repent of sin and trust you as their Savior in God. And also that we would you would unify us uh, in the body of Christ, that you would um, give justice to the Floyd family Father, and that you would give wisdom and discernment to our president, and uh, the administration, God. And may we may we, give us the courage uh, to speak up um, and stand up and support one another. We thank you for Christ and his shed blood on the cross and for the Holy Spirit who is here uh, with us now, comforting and guiding us. And help us make much of you, Jesus. We pray this in your strong name. And all God's people type. Amen. Love you. I'll see you later. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to MtCarmelDemorest.com.